0: You staying home tonight? I hadn't planned. I don't know. Plan on it. What's up, everybody? Hi, welcome back. Welcome back to another week of the show. Still going strong. Recording a lot of conversations. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this week's episode. We talk with uh, Tim Glemkowski, who I've known since college, and he's doing some amazing things with an organization he started up called Alto Institute um we talk a lot about uh what do we talk about the future of the church the future of the parishes as a as a as a structure um in the catholic church and talk about his work we talk a lot about his his background his upbringing his origin story so that's really fun um yeah so it's a really good conversation i think you'll appreciate it so i'm i'm making i'm making the show and um it costs money to make the show so i don't i don't want to like sell out and slap a ton of ads on this thing. So I'm trying to figure out ways to, that you can support the show because it, it costs money, like for hosting, for the website, um, for all the equipment I'm using, like, well, the equipment's already bought, but, but if something breaks, um, or if I have to get, or I have to get an upgrade on something or, uh, just the website hosting and all of those things, it costs money. So I'm trying to figure out ways, um, that you can help, uh, support the show. Um, thinking about, put up a Patreon sometime later in the future. But one way you can support the show is uh, is you can just try something out for free, right? You can try this thing called Audible, Audible.com. So if you can go to Audibletrial.com slash support the show. And uh and if you if you try it for 30 days you you've already helped the show. You don't even have to you don't have to put up any money. You've already supported the show. Um, we, have a, we have that unique offer code for, uh, just for this show. So if you go to audible com slash support the show, all one word, uh, that's one way that you can support, uh, support the show. And why do I bring up audible? Because, uh, it's something I believe in. It's something that I think, um, that I think would support or just would help you. I think that's something that would, that would help. Um, I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to stuff, but also it's, it's uh, really beneficial to listen to books. I like listening to books so it uh just a different format if you feel like i don't have time to sit down and read all these books i think reading books is super important so like uh let's see if you're a gary vaynerchuk fan there's a whole bunch of his books there on on uh on audible there's all sorts of books uh classics things that you can you can check out so uh if you if you um if you like the show and you want it to keep going and uh you want to help help us keep this thing going I'm, I'm it's an experiment guys this is an experiment um, so if you if you uh, yeah feel like supporting that's audibletrial.com slash support the show you can click the link in your uh, in your podcast app anyways now that's behind us um, just wanted to explain that here we go without further ado this is uh, our conversation Tim glumkowski which I think was really good and let me know what you think yeah. think like oh that's just some old thing but there's i mean there's literally thousands of people out there that are searching for for this stuff that you know six months ago you were interested in it now you're not but it's just out there for someone else to go to go look at so
1: anyways dude it's funny i'll get like emails sometimes and someone will say you know do you want to come give uh this talk here uh we you know we've been watching your youtube videos and we just we just love that you're doing that project and yeah you know do you want to? and i'm like I haven't made a video in like three years. Yeah, dude.
0: Yeah. They're that. just sitting there. I, I get, so someone types
1: in, yo Catholic, whatever. Yeah. And it just kind of like one of them pops up. And...
0: Yeah, man. It's just like, it's this, it's, uh, adjusting to this new, I like new internet world where a body of work is something that, yeah, that you just archive on the internet. There's honestly the, that this was honestly what caused me to finally just start doing this type of podcast was like, okay, I'm just gonna, this is just a bucket to store conversations with people that I find interesting. And um, if I, if I'm inconsistent with it, whatever, but I can always come back to saving conversations I have with people that are interesting in this one bucket, you know what I mean? And if five years from now, you know, I've done 20 of them, whatever I've done 20 of them, you know, like they're, yeah. they're here yeah. forever. They're these conversations. So anyways, dude, that's interesting. I, li- I actually, I like that a lot. You're right. Instead
1: of it having to be like an immediate, you know, where if we're not growing, you know. 10 times subscribers over our first two months where or even if you do even if it is just like a short project you're right just yeah i'm I'm, always, I'm intrigued to wonder like you know they say when they like canonize a saint uh they send over like the whole the whole huge like everything yeah. they wrote everything everyone ever wrote about them like yeah. and it all kind of comes to the vatican like if not, there aren't going to be any millennial saints but like if there <laughs> yeah, were yeah. right gomer screwed you know, <laughs> like they're gonna they're gonna show up in the Vatican with like I mean yeah. I guess it'll probably all just be on like a little you know yeah. data stick or something at that point but like it's gonna be a lot of freaking content that some cardinal has to plow through to see if there's any heresies in exactly
0: there. exactly and I think that's I think that's I, man I've talked about this is com- this this topic has kind of come up often which is like um, I think uh, people that are more I don't know people that are more like TV radio broadcast era they view Things that are broadcast out as um, they need to be set in stone and clean and cut and um, appropriate and orthodox, right like like every everything needs to be curated um, very perfectly to represent a worldview where like man, in the age of Snapchat, I mean you could make you could make a thousand snaps in a day and change your mind the next day on on what you believe, think or feel, right so your 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 thoughts and opinions are changing in the public forum. Whereas Hmm. like in the old world, it was like your thoughts and opinions change privately amongst your friends. And then when you finally come up with like, here is my stance, then you go into the public forum. Whereas like now people are working out their ideas and thoughts and opinions on Twitter all all the time, right? Like, right. Like, I think I feel this. How do people feel about that? You know, or how, what do people think about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just like externally processing on the internet. But yeah, you're right. If it was like, john henry newman that would be like you know agonizing years of internal debate <laughs> yeah. and then he finally writes that book and yeah yeah that's interesting yeah and like i haven't even thought about that yeah
0: and people um people think because like i know people and i know i don't i mean i don't tell my high schoolers like it doesn't matter what you put on your facebook because it does matter people who are hiring in companies and stuff they're they're gonna make those decisions based on your facebook but i think more and more we're understanding you know if we see a picture of someone with a with like a beer can if we see a young kid um like like if a kid graduated four years ago from college and now he's applying for a job and you go on his facebook and there are pictures of him in a in a fraternity you're not like oh hey that's inappropriate you're like well i mean come on like like most didn't most of us go through college like your your public perception uh doesn't have to be so squeaky clean right because we we start understanding that that people change over time and like this was this was where you were back then and it just happened to be recorded and put up and because just because my all my mistakes aren't recorded and put on the internet doesn't mean i need to like hold you to some higher level i don't know dude.
1: and and that's the interesting thing then when like this is we just made a joke about him but like one of the big stories in the news this week is that is Logan Paul is a you know huge vlogger mm-hmm. on YouTube whatever fifteen million subscribers or something, yeah. and he made a video with like a dead body in it. Like yes, he, he I saw he this. Found like a you know like a man had committed suicide, and and his reactions like you yeah, pretty inappropriate and like you know he's you can tell he's almost trying to like process you know kind yeah. of what's. I didn't actually watch like the whole video because i'm kind of like stuff like that makes me kind of squeamish about like i'm just kind of like it almost feels like irreverent you know like which is why everyone so everyone gets super mad at them but then i saw like one of the you know usa today articles i read about it or something was like you know all these celebrities that were piling on you know people this this man is disgusting and get him and and there's like he made a huge mistake and but there was part of me is like that my heart went out to him as like a 22 year old guy like exactly if everything i did when i was 22 or said amongst my friends when i was 22 was put on the internet like people would hate me (laughs) Uh, and that's kind of the position they put themselves in i guess by being vloggers it's kind of like well then don't get into the game if you're not going to try to like abide by some rules but like i guarantee you x y or z celebrity but we all like we love we love to like our culture just loves to pile on people like to act like the sanctimonious police of just like Um, I don't know, you know, and and we do, people need to be called out when they, when they make mistakes and stuff, but it's just, it's, I'm not, I'm not saying what he did was right. Uh, but just the, the reaction to people's mistakes just because they become publicized to me is like a really interesting, like we, we like to scapegoat in our culture.
0: Yeah. I think that like, this was like the whole problem with, uh, when Facebook was first starting to come out, it was like, if you're a youth minister, you can't have a Facebook page. And it's like, why? Well, because then people will see what you're like in your normal life. And I remember constantly just being – as someone who, who didn't really have a whole lot uh, that I was ashamed of in my personal life, I was like, well, what, what's the problem with that? I don't understand. Yeah. Like what is it that a kid's going to see in my personal life? Like what is it that we're all agreeing uh, that we do in our private lives that is not okay for, our, for, for minors to see? <laughs> like that's what I was so right. confused about. <laughs> Anyways – <laughs> another thing and another thing and another
1: thing, that, the, the, another another thing that really grinds my gear. It, 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 so, you know, one of the interesting things with with starting this organization is um, having to be a little bit more like I think what we're kind of describing is this like millennial, you know, the, the authenticity angst. factor that yeah. Yeah, the millennial <laughs> angst of like just trying to be like a little bit more. Not wanting to have to, like, put on – maybe, like, a hatred of pretense Mm -hmm. um, or something. But um, have you ever noticed that there's a lot of people, like, when they've they've kind of, like, worked in the corporate structure for, like, years, you know, 30, 40 years. They've really had a career of it. Like, every word is, like, very measured and, like – do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And kind of having to like wrestle with that in myself of like, I want to speak clearly and not just be like the the bull in the china shop, uh, you know, twenty eight year old that's just like, you know, throwing out whatever I think off the top of my head and like not worrying about the way my words are coming across. But yeah, I also don't want to like in thirty years be having conversations with my kids where I'm like, <laughs> you know, trying to like, you know. Sell them software or something, you know, like well, having that very like businessy way of talking.
0: Yeah, and I well, and I think I think a lot of it. I mean, I, I, did you ever see this? Um, what's his name? The Start with Why guy, Simon Sinek's, Uh Oh yeah, yeah. He has this whole diatribe about how here are all the problems with millennials, you know. And he and he go and some sure. of, some of the things he goes in, sitting on the stage. Yeah, and some of the things he goes into is like the um, you know like they're always given participation trophies um they're they're in a world of of um immediate gratification and all this other stuff anyways what one of the things that i feel like um needs to happen and will happen and just as like a natural consequence is that we're just learning how how to be how to translate normal interactions in the real world onto the internet and where at first, like the internet comes on, and suddenly it's like, okay, everyone needs to talk as if they're, this is their first and only five minutes of fame. Now, you know, like I said before, like now, now it's more understood. Okay, look, this person can change their opinions, and just because you can pull up a tweet from two thousand nine that says I believe this, like that doesn't that doesn't mean anything, right? It's like right. It's like if your kids look back on, you know, the YouTube videos or the podcasts and stuff like that, like I mean it would be absurd for them to think that your thoughts and opinion, like that your personality and your personhood is, is just, um, is, is static and just is stuck in time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. And and I mean, half the time
1: personally, like half the time when I tweet something, it's like, I've been mulling on this and I'm ready for like some feedback. You know what I mean? Like, this is like a, this is a less than half baked idea that I'm just kind of like interested to see what other people think about, you know? And, um, so yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So where yeah. where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I grew up, uh, in the, in the, the suburbs of Chicago. So That's I was right. born in the, the North North shore area and then lived in the Wheaton, Illinois, which is most famous for, uh, Wheaton college which is like one of those, it's kind of like the Franciscan of evangelical schools. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, that was like second grade. We moved there. We moved to Minnesota for a hot second. My dad works for AT&T. Okay. Um, He's a financial analyst, which so, is like the opposite of what I do. Oh,
0: so, okay. so so the, yeah. I was gonna say, so you guys all have an unlimited data, but maybe he can't pull those kind of strings.
1: Dude, check this out. <laughs> I do have unlimited data yeah. for
0: very cheap. Grandfathered because he's
1: in? Grandfathered yeah. in, dude. That's the... I'll never get off that plan. Yep. Like yep. it's this phone number I've had for like twelve years. He got like the iPhone one or whatever with unlimited oh, yeah. data, and I'm paying nothing it for doesn't, just it like... doesn't
0: exist anymore, man. It doesn't exist.
1: Ugh it's it's probably my greatest like my most my my favorite possession yeah. they send me texts like every month like
0: please stop using so much of our data you know we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna slow you down i swear and, and i'm just like yeah and you're just like you can you can pry this uh terms and agreement out of my cold dead hands like <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm gonna literally in my will to my children. <laughs> yes yeah yeah and, do know. not get rid of this phone it has unlimited data <laughs> It's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. I, can ima- I can imagine a twenty seventy 2070 or twenty seventy five world. You know, like the year twenty seventy five, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, like you could sell that phone on the internet for thousands of dollars, right? Like,
1: dude, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, On like eBay or something. Yeah. I, I mean, I think AT and T might like assassinate me yeah, just to get I'm me because tr- they know they're looking at the next. You know, yeah, they, 50 they'll do.
0: They'll do some type of legal thing where they'll be like, if you didn't answer this phone call, um, you have agreed to change your. <laughs> some type of weird... oh dude yeah,
1: yeah. you opted out or something okay yeah, so you grew, they in, will.
0: you grew up in chicago your dad works for at&t
1: yeah so that's what we'd moved up to for his job to minnesota for a couple of years we came back and then um my, my parents moved out even further west to a town called batavia which is like the the last suburb um of chicago so um yeah we grew up in this area i went to actually public school up through eighth grade and then i, I did the catholic uh switch over when i was in high school actually be like legitimately because like my parents saw it as like I was getting in a lot of trouble in middle school and it was like a it was like huh. a way to like kind of straighten me out a little bit. Are par- yeah.
0: Are your parents uh your parents cradle Catholics or like raised Catholic or
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, um you know, Chicago Irish, Chicago Polish. Gotcha. So like very, you know, they they kind of did the whole the whole thing growing up, but then they had their personal conversion when I was in like second grade or third grade. Like I still remember the first confession where like my mom it was like her big like, you know, encounter with Jesus moment. She came back from confession, was like kneeling in the pew and was like sobbing. Wow. And I was like, what the heck did they do? <laughs> like, what did what, they do to her in that room?
0: <laughs> like, what's going on? Uh, well, what what, so, what, yeah. what sparked the conversion? It just was, was it just a really good confession or like... It was a retreat. Have you ever heard of the Curcio? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they
1: were Uh I'm sorry. Yeah. And a curcista, Uh But <laughs> <Nice>. uh, <laughs> nice. yeah, so they, that was like the big thing in the wow. Diocese of Joliet in, in the 90s. And so they... Uh, they went out on those weekends and then like they started going to daily mass and started getting super Catholic. And it was like just too late for me. You know what I mean? I was yeah. I, I had just enough of the pagan in me. I mean, we like, we did like, uh, we, we tried like some evangelical services, okay. you know, like we were that like, you yeah. know, consistent and in, um, in the faith until, until they um, had that conversion. So, nice. so yeah, I, I pretty much just kind of like it, it, I was kind of the, I would joke, I was the black sheep of the family. How, um, many, brother, how we, many brothers and sisters do you have? Six. I'm the second oldest. Okay. So I, always, oldest. I
0: always forget this. Okay.
1: Yeah, we were yeah a big Catholic family, and that's part of actually their conversion too, was that having that big family, they had, um, you actually had some, like, bad advice given by priests that, you know, artificial methods of of Dang. planning that family were, and so we had, like, a five year gap between four and five. Yep. Uh, and so Claire and Tom, it's kind of crazy, when like, that's when I hear, like, teachings about you know, contraception and stuff, like literally my, my, you know, if the, if the doctrine wasn't clarified at some point for them, like my, my youngest two siblings like would not exist and they're like the best of us. So it'd be,
0: (laughs) they're the best. That's funny.
1: They they are. My brothers that just started at Franciscan actually this year as a freshman. Yeah. Well, your parents Uh, had
0: probably really mellowed out by that point. The, my, my, (laughs) yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) So, so, okay. So, so then you go, you go to Catholic high school then then what happens after that a lot of a lot of drinking mainly <laughs> um, <laughs> after like after hours or do you mean after you graduate high school uh
1: no so i so yeah after hours after okay hours. so during high school okay right right so i um you know i wasn't like it wasn't like freshman year day 1 but definitely by like by junior senior year it was a lot of like i'm i'm a little ashamed to admit like it was a lot of like partying and football you uh. know <laughs>
0: You're a football you're Cougar you're in high school. You're the football kid?
1: But like not really. Yeah like honestly, okay. like personality wise, I've always been just very like kind of, you know, happy go lucky, just like happy to know people. Like just I I, I I I we were we were raised to be nice and so I was never like a tool. I was you know, I was even in high school, I was like always the kid that like if someone was sitting by themselves alone at the table, like went and sat with them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. I always had that just like heart for people where I could never be like stuffing kids in lockers <laughs> and stuff, you know? So you
0: were, you were, you were this very benevolent uh, popular kid. I was kid. benevolent jock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And, and honestly, more than anything, like so I won the two I, the two awards I won for like our yearbook awards were um, Class Clown and Most Likely to Be Remembered. Aww. So more than anything, I think I was just like causing trouble. Yeah. Like I think I've always had this kind of undiagnosed ADD where it just kind of like, it just comes out and I, I never, never, never really got, uh, super, um, you know, committed to like the sitting in the classroom quietly kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, so, and then I, I during that time in high school, my parents would kind of like force me, uh, you know, my, my Holy roller Catholic parents would force me to go on, uh, retreats and stuff, including a student bill conference. And so, before my senior year in high school, I, I went on the student bill conference and like, you know, had my face melted off. Um what, and that what really was it? Off. what was it
0: about the conference?
1: Um it was the connection with there are two things. The first was like the connection with um like the reality that it was like all true. It was just kind of that moment of like faith clarity. Mm. And I think in some ways like the quality of the speakers yeah. and the and the the emphasis on like Jesus mm. and, and who he was and what he had done. Like, on the one hand, I just never really heard preaching like that, where it was just so clear to me. So then in adoration, there was that clarity of just like, holy crap, like this is this is actually real. And I don't even know what to do about this. Like, I really kind of thought of it as just like, I don't know, you know, like kind of this like soft, um, just I don't know that that 90s Catholicism sometimes was just so like felt banners and stuff like that. So I just never really heard like that really just pure gospel message before
0: do you feel like it was it was no longer just a cultural um cultural baggage and now it was suddenly it you know it had some substance to the content
1: exactly and like in a a particular way with the eucharist where it wasn't just like a a great christian thing but it was like a like i think that this is actually the best like representation of because i've always been like i've always thought a lot too you know i've always been like a very existential person you know like i'm always kind of thinking of meaning and like you know i would I'd, i'd always I remember uh, like thinking a lot about like the fact that I existed in high school and how like that's a weird thing. Like why is there something instead of nothing? Like it really kind of, out and so
0: yeah very um, very very i I was kind of the same i was kind of the same way very in touch with my feelings not 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 (laughs) the uh not the jock bully i didn't go the jock bully (laughs) route i definitely went more the uh the more artistic route but i hated all the drama kids so i like really had nowhere to go other than to just (laughs) other than to just try to be friends with everyone and just sit in my angst at home (laughs) just like (laughs) well dude the drama kids sometimes
1: like i didn't know but then i found out later like they were actually sometimes the. i thought they were like the, the like the the well behaved kids but it yeah. turns out oh, turns know. out
0: my public school it was not that way holy cow they can they go south sometimes oh, yeah. yeah yeah so so so, so, so sorry uh, what were you going to say well the second thing it was was for me
1: honestly like a big thing was just seeing i think uh, on that weekend like a handful probably like oh, yeah, over half of the speakers were men and like very good I think it was like Paul George was our mm. MC, and even like Chris Paget and like all these guys and it was this example of like lay male holiness yeah. where for me in high school like I was whoever anyone else wanted me to be yeah. you know what I mean it's like what opinion do you want me to have what what do you want me to say like I will just put it on for you you yeah. know and yeah. and so seeing these guys who like had enough clarity and conviction to actually live like a life for, for like v- virtue and to just like kind of not care what other people thought was like incredibly compelling to me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I didn't really like have my, my personal conversion till about a year later, but like, that was the moment. It was like, I knew then like I was screwed, like, <laughs> but it, it was just like the moral side of it didn't catch up for a year. Like it was like, I knew I needed in order to do that. I was going to have to change everything about my life. And I just like, frankly, like couldn't until about a year later.
0: So what happened a year later? This is your senior year of high school now. Well, yeah, I just graduated. It was like two weeks
1: after our graduation, and I woke up pretty hungover um, from a party. And uh, uh, li- literally, it was just like this intense moment of grace where I, like, I woke up and I looked in the mirror And it was just like, you are the most unhappy person Mm. in the world. Mm. It just like (laughs) looked deep into myself Mm. in my in my eyes in the mirror in the bathroom was just like enough. Like, this is just stupid. And you're and and you graduated high school and these people don't matter that much anymore. Mm. And like you you need to actually go try to make something of your own life instead of just like, you know, making your whole life dependent on what others think of you. And, uh, it was just literally just like a moment of grace. I mean, at the time I thought it was very like self-willed, but I recognize now, like, I mean, that is not a normal conversation to have with yourself. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or if people do get to that point, yeah, that it is a, it is a moment of grace. Like, like some people might get to that point and think, I'm just thinking there might be other people who, who feel like they have had that moment and that it was self-willed, but, um, you know, they, but, but yeah, even, even that act of self-will is in and of itself a grace. A grace. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise it's
1: semi Pelagianism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like so yeah, so it's I, at the time I was just very like thought, like I'm I'm taking a stand for myself. But so we had moved to this like more, you know, kind of orthodox parish setting that really had like a lot of, you know, with perpetual adoration and they'd also had they had daily confessions. And so I like wound up in the in the confessional that morning and
0: man, and daily, then, that's pretty intense.
1: Dude, they still do. They've been doing wow. it for like fifteen years. Daily confessions. Wow. It's amazing. Wow. Um and so yeah I and mean, and so that's I mean that's like to have that availability to like in my moment of need just literally wander into the church and be able to go to confession um and so then like it was just kneeling down after and I, and I'll never forget like yes you know, so I in that moment it was like all right we're doing this tim like we are and I just like didn't answer my phone for the next yeah. you know few weeks I remember, I'll never forget Dave Matthews comes to Alpine Valley every year
0: <laughs> okay Dave <laughs> Dave
1: <laughs> And this is like the party, right, for high school kids. I mean, so it's it's oh, like yeah. Southern Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, and so you know everyone goes up there and they stay at all their rich friends' lake houses. All and the bros, just like all the bros. Yeah, oh, man. It's, it's oh, it's so many bros. All the polos want to and go. the <laughs> yeah. all the polos and the and oh. the tan shorts. <laughs> we were probably rocking like double polos at oh, yeah. the time. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and uh, and I, I'll never forget like sitting in my bed and just getting like text after text on my, you know, old, like T9 texting phone of just like, (laughs) you know, where are you? Why aren't you coming? And I've like, I've never felt so desperately lonely Uh, uh, than just being like, this is it. Like I'm following Christ and it hurts. Uh, you know, this is like a couple weeks post-conversion. And then, and then I went to, to Franciscan.
0: Wait, wait, wait. wait, Yeah. You can't just gloss over that though, because were you planning on going to Franciscan (laughs) this whole time? I can't imagine you were planning to go to a small Catholic school in the middle of, in the middle of uh, a depressed iron or uh, yeah, depressed oil town. Like weird weird thing.
1: I I didn't even apply to another school.
0: Oh, Uh, was this ever since the Steubenville conference? You're just like, okay, I have to go there. I like filled
1: out my form. I was like, I want info. (laughs) And they show the video and it was just like, those people look so happy, and I, there was just something about me. Yeah. I, I it, it was like I did it, and then I got halfway through, like a University of Illinois and University of Dayton application, and like a freak out moment. Mm-hmm. But it was just this like moment. I'm literally, I'm like, you know, smoking weed before school,
0: yeah. but I'm just like, I'm going, you know, like that. That sounds like a like you were attracted to the the culture of it for some. Yeah. There was something in you that was like attracted to to that space that you were seeing, and you wanted to be in that space. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I just what I, it was like it was a classic like what they had I wanted um yeah. kind of thing. And so yeah, and so I I I like I think I was like early admission and then just like held to it. I like yeah. we put in my deposit and I I think I tried to back out like once or twice <laughs> and my parents were just like <laughs> nope. no, this is our one shot with you Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so th- you were saying you so then you show up at Franciscan and immediately it's like,
1: you know, all the brotherhood and yeah. all the yeah. like and It's just the you know the Lord just like filled like the, my, my, that like that moment of just deep you know loneliness and then three months later I didn't realize that like the like the it, people who were like in my wedding I met them within my first couple of weeks at Franciscan you know yeah. and it's like that was all waiting for me like right around the corner
0: that that is, that is like one of the strongest things I'm I've ever since my experience of Franciscan I've also tried to to figure out um, is like how do you replicate this idea of like yeah, when you're surrounded by people who are striving really hard in one direction towards uh, a certain good or or a certain worldview, it's contagious, you know. Like, and I'm sure this mm-hmm. is why I was listening to someone talk about how CrossFit and like these vegan diets are like the new churches. Right, because it's like you can surround yourself by people. It, like this, this place, this culture, this like space is completely different. And suddenly, you're around these people where you belong, and they're they're dragging you in a direction of like this higher good that you want to be a part of. But like, if you just sit at home alone, or if you're just constantly surrounded by people who are like, I don't know, <laughs> right, right, like, like you just like fall to that lowest common denominator. Right, and like
1: exactly, and it's almost like there are bars that you just like can't reach or it's very difficult to reach without that kind of support. Yeah. And when you, and when you reach those bars there's such a piece like a, like a, that, that's when you really start to experience like, like virtue only pays off when it really starts to set in mm-hmm. and you start to experience like the joy that comes with that, with living differently. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's almost like it's just difficult to get to that point sometimes without that support. And yeah, I mean, I do, I do. it's like the classic, like culture, eat strategy for breakfast, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah if you, you know, and, 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 and the lack of it is going to eat up any strategy to, for the good too, is like, how much are, how much did I learn? Uh, you know, even though my parents were very like devoutly Catholic, like, you know, and, and incredibly tepid, like experience of Catholicism through Catholic high school and through parochial life growing up, just like ate that up. you know it was like, sure. My dad was a disciple. My mom was a disciple, but like, you know, I, I would go to mass and it was just like, you know, ninety five percent of the people here like. And and how much did I, how much more did I learn and soak up from being like participating in that culture? Yeah, uh, it, yeah, both like the the strongest good and and uh, yeah, ill.
0: Yeah, and and um, I think one of the most important things to teach high schoolers before they go off to college is this the stupid phrase that still is so true that like in some ways you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, like whether. The, like I really, really feel like that's a that, that as as stupid and cliche as that really is. I think there's some truth to that. That, um, you know, sometimes when people come back from college who have been in my youth group or or whatever, and they're like talking to me, and yeah, I'm really like I'm really starting to doubt and losing the faith or whatever, and it's like, okay, well, how often are you around the faith? And they're like, well, I go to church every Sunday. It's like, well, other than that. Like what else, and it's like right. no, it 's like nothing, and it's like, okay well, what are the beliefs and and attitudes and and habits and activities of the people that you do hang out with? It was like well they 're mostly just atheists it 's like well yeah it's no doubt <laughs> like, like there's no, or, i mean there's no there's no question that that is having a huge impact on the on the way, just like just like even small little things, like just really, really small what seem insignificant, and it 's not to say you should we should all um create a Catholic ghetto and just live there but but just to be conscious of um like giving ourselves that oxygen that we need, you know, right? And like, there was a great
1: like, uh, was it Babylon B is the like the onion for that like the, the Christian onion or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this great one where it was like, you know, Christian, uh, Christian, like bravely, uh, like you know, rejects biblical teaching for more popular secular ideal or something (laughs) like that you know like comes and i was just like i love but it's totally i mean like how we're inherently social creatures and so when we like experience like this dissonance between like what i believe is actually going to put me at odds with people around me like at at some point if if we're especially if we're like a little more immature in the faith like i mean it's amazing to me how much in terms of even like you know, my fundamental convictions aren't shifting anymore, but in terms of my personal fervor with following the faith, it's amazing how much that five people thing is still true for me even today. Like, I'll just like, you know, you get busy. You have, we have have two kids and we have, uh, you know, jobs and all that other stuff. And so you kind of like look up after a few months and you're like, Oh, you know, like my, you know, and, and, and it is, it's sometimes it's because it, I was just at the SLS conference, um, because it was in Chicago here the last couple of days. And I sat down with a friend who works on, you know, the, the home staff for focus. And he was just like, describe, I mean, like some people just, you, you have those people in your life where you sit down with them and like, they just seem to completely get it. And they're living so missionally. And like, they're just really striving for holiness. And it was just such like a conscience check for me of like, he was talking about, he did like an eight day silent retreat this summer and his wife was on the first three days and stuff. And I was just like, heck yeah. Like I'm going to freaking do that. Cause like, I'm, you know, and, yeah. uh, Um, so that, yeah, I I think that's, it's, it's like, it's shocking how that sneaks up on you, even as like an adult who is more, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty set in like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, you know, in terms of the faith, but, uh,
0: but it's easy, it's easy for your actions to start, uh, for for your, for your actions to start not living up to, uh, to the, the, the the intellectual decisions you're making, like when you're alone in your room, right? Like, it's like one thing to, to sit in your room and go, yeah, I really do believe this stuff. But then, uh it's really easy to just convince yourself like, well, but I don't have to go that crazy. (laughs) Like I'm not going to go to daily mass. Like that's kind of getting a little crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, right. I I know I believe this. I don't need to do these things. So, so, um, so talk to me a little, I, I kind of know the story, but I just want this, you know, to walk through this for, for people, but talk, talk to me about the story of what happens after Franciscan, between Franciscan and then you launching, um, Alto Institute and this, um, this crazy endeavor, you know, Oh man, yeah, so many things. Um, <clears throat> gosh,
1: I, I, I'm like, how much of this do I want to actually go into? Um,
0: I mean, here we can do a fast track on like you, you, you tried some ministry, you tried working for the church, you tried working for a Catholic school, and then feel feel on your heart that that, that like bring yeah bring us to this moment yeah. where you're like, okay, I really feel like there's something else I need to be doing. Good, yeah, yeah. Because I was trying to think if I was going to go into. <clears throat> there's a whole part of that story i spent a year in
1: seminary uh at Mundelein outside of chicago and there's a whole part of that story that's like me wrestling with you know can you be radically holy have a deep prayer life uh as a lay person yeah. that's like kind of like a part of it. for me i honestly in some ways like lalto is in some ways is flowing from that place like that yeah. that conv- like that what i learned is like you know yeah you can and and that's something that i wanted other people to like know as well um, but yeah, I'll kind of, uh, we'll, 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 we'll jump over that having kind of touched on it. And yes, yeah, so I, I taught high school theology, um, in Ann Arbor for a few years. And while I was there, I was getting my master's at the Augustine Institute, which has a re- really significant emphasis on discipleship and, and evangelization. It's, you know, it's kind of almost like a, in a certain, it was just an MA in theology, but I, w- I would almost say it has like a new evangelization concentration. I don't know if they have one of those, but everything seems to be kind of read through that lens in some okay. ways. And, um, <clears throat> There were some other significant things. Like I, I really, you know, about 2012, 2013, really started reading a lot of uh, books that were just very influential for me. For like putting language on a lot of things I had kind of understood for a while. Which was that like our parish life wasn't necessarily um, all the time. I, well, the first first experience I ever had was when I read Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> and I remember reading the book Acts of the Apostles and being like, "That's that's what I want. Yeah. Like I want I want to participate in that kind of Christian community, and I want to live." that way. And then like kind of holding that intention with like what I was experiencing in terms of contemporary, you know, Catholic parish life. Mm-hmm. Like that was the first experience where I was just like, what, what happened here? Like what, where, you know, where have we lost um, some of that spirit? And so yeah, the other big influences for me were like, I, you know, I read, I'm a huge George Weigel fan because I'm a big John Paul II fan. He did kind of the definitive biography and he, he wrote one called Evangelical Catholicism. And then I read Forming Intentional Disciples and Divine Renovation. There was kind of this whole, swirling, like intellectual question in my head. And I kind of started to feel in some ways teaching high school, like I was, it was almost like being in the eighties, you know? And it's like, Hey, they're doing these computer things out in California. Like, (laughs) you know, you should, that's, that's where the, the, it was like really this growing sense in me, like, this is where. This is where the next generation of the church is going to be focused. Like yeah, this it, is. It,
0: it really started like you know as, and I'm sure we're we're coming in the game pretty late, right? Like I mean, I mean, uh, there's people been doing yeah, it. Yeah, like JP2 and like way back when with people um kind of like reforming the like this whole catechetical movement and you know evangelization all these things with john the 23rd and all these things but it really has started in america to feel like it was it was cresting and if you were reading some of these things that a lot of these people were saying it's like yeah this is coming this is inevitable and i remember when when pope francis wrote um evangelii gaudium it was like yeah yeah like this is this is everything that everyone has been reading and saying and talking about like kind of all all condensed down and it's, it's all the church documents, all the books like like there's this underground it felt a little bit like an underground, granted like it was definitely coming out you know more in the open with sherry waddell's sherry Waddell's kind of like that that was a pretty watershed moment but um but yeah, it felt like it felt like yeah, yeah, like we all kind of know this, and um not everyone knows this but but a lot of the people that are reading these things feel this
1: and I, and I felt like what was unique about it was. It was really starting to hit parish life like it was yeah. the, it was the like the the pervasive element of it where it wasn't just like happening in movements kind of in pockets of the church, but it was like the whole church kind of wrestling with this this call and identity and and yeah that that evangelic audience comes out and that's the fifty year uh I'm kinda like big on dates in a weird way um it, it, like and and it was the fifty fifty year uh, anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council was yeah. like that like the the synod that they actually like wrote that document yeah. from them or that he wrote the document from and it, it felt like in some ways it was like okay like we've done the 50 years of turbulence after the council where you know like we're kind of trying to figure out what it actually all means and how we implement it and for the most part do so kind of inappropriately and now it's like can we can we really get down to the core of this which is like how in postmodernism do we you know, actually uh, get back to the core of our mission. And so, so I, I took a job in Denver as a director of evangelization. Like, so I, I just started kind of applying for positions like that, being like, this is where I want to be, uh, this is what I want to do. And so I moved the whole family. We packed up all of our stuff in a a single reload cube, uh, and and made our way out. And I drove the 18 hours to 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 Denver, and we set up shop there and um it was a couple summers ago that i was at a wedding uh a, a mutual friend of ours connor flanagan was getting married and i was a groomsman in the wedding and uh, a friend of mine elliot uh foley or you know elliot too of course i'm sorry I think elliot,
0: i'm not super familiar with him but i, I like know his name okay yeah he's, he was our year at Franciscan and stuff and he uh he
1: lives out here in the, in the western suburbs mm-hmm. of chicago and but he's like from california so he's always just Killed me about like I live like he's like this is like my best friend from college and it's like I I live like in your hometown and you're in Denver you're in Ann Arbor like when when are you coming home you know and uh, so he comes at me you know this whole wedding and just this grill in me about this question and I finally break down and, and I said to him like openly I'm like fine Elliot even like a year and a half because I'm trying to delay this this idea because I'm living 20 minutes from the Rocky Mountains sure, and I'm this sure, is my yeah. dream job yeah. I just love you know like I was. 25 and i was like the 26 i was the director of evangelization catechesis i'm like this is it yeah, like i am yeah. at the height of what god is ever going to call me to do like yeah. this was a six thousand family mega parish like i'm like thrilled you know yeah.
0: you can make change uh, you can you're in a you're in a yes. position to really start making some some lasting change you know in the not, not that other positions can't but like you're you're at the height of <laughs> like besides someone ordaining you and becoming a priest like you're at the most influential position that you can be at a parish
1: Right it was like I could direct strategy. some, some sense. It didn't have to just yeah. be tactics, I could like help set a program and a vision and, yeah. and so I was that and that was all what I was all about, and so I finally said him said fine, it's like in a year and a half, some pastor calls me out of the blue and I list like seven things you know and it's a and it's a big parish and I'm doing adult evangelization and I could have you know like all these different things like these you know criteria would have to meet. I was like, then I'll think about it you know and, and that kind of shut him up for a minute and then we we, we went to bed well we, I woke up the next morning. This is like literally like six hours later. You know, we're up, it's we're up, catching up on life. It's 2 a.m. While we're talking, all this stuff. We have the next morning, it's like 8 a.m. I'm pouring my first cup of coffee and my phone rings. Mm. Uh, and I look down, and the, the, the caller ID says Father Jim Parker, who's the pastor at Holy Cross in Batavia, which is like the home parish that my, my family had moved out to, uh, you know, toward the end of my time in high school. And I pick up the phone. And I kind of look at Elliot, like, what did you do? You know? <laughs> uh, and he's kind of like, I didn't, you know, he got his hands up in the air, Like, I, you know, I don't even know what you, what you're saying, what are talking about? And I walk in the other room and, and it's Father Payne's, he's, he's real excitable. He's like this Padre Pio figure, like beautifully holding man and just very like energetic. And he's Tim, Tim, I, you know, I got, I got something to talk to you about. I was, I was in adoration this morning and, uh, you know, we've been trying to hire for this position and we want it to be some high school youth ministry, but we also wanted it to be adult evangelization and reaching out to young adults, kind of a more comprehensive position. And we hadn't called you because, you know, we knew you lived in Denver and hadn't moved there that long ago. And we, you know, just kind of didn't even think to do it. But I was sitting in the adoration chapel this morning and God told me I had to at least just call you and offer you the job. Mm. Uh, and here's the salary. And it was like just more than I was making in Denver. And that was like one of the stipulations I'd given God is like, it has to be more money because yeah. I'm a family man, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, yeah. and all of a sudden it was like literally like all these things that I just like laid out, just like knocked them all out. Um, and I, I like, and, and so we, we moved a month and a half later. Dang. I mean, it was like, we, we wrestled with it for like three weeks, you know, just being like, is this like, are we really just being like Abraham here? Like, <laughs> you know, like, is it, did that just happen? Did like, really happened? Yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and my wife was heartbroken. You know, we, we yeah. like, we're, we're, that's our thing. We like hike, like we love to like go, you know, into the mountains together and that's how we refresh and all that stuff. But it was like, we were just so clearly being called. Yeah, And so I would, as I was, we were doing the move really, like even, even before I had left, uh, we, we moved from Denver then finally in August, but even before we had moved, it was just really being put on my heart to, um, you know, it, it it formed over time, but the the original kind of like concept was just like this idea of like an evangelizing catalyst or an evangelizing agent that Mm. there could be some kind of, of way of, you know, almost like a regional outreach model where like really just taking the the greater Chicagoland area and kind of holding it in our heart and being entrepreneurial and creative about, it was almost like, I feel like God was saying to me, like you're being sent here, like you're being sent to this parish, like for a time, but you're also being sent to like, this area. And I want you to like figure out ways to, to, to help bring this, this vision for, you know, reforming, revitalizing parish culture around forming disciples, like to the area in some way. And so finally in January, 2017, we we launched the Alto Catholic Institute, uh, LALTO.co. And, um, that was like, that was the vision. So we kind of you know, had some parish missions and we, um, did some some schools of, like we call them our school of prayer, which is this, uh, you know, four-part series really teaching like the the fundamentals of the interior life because that would have been a huge thing for me, like realizing how many people didn't really know how to pray and really like, you know, commune with God, like be, you know, in relation with him because, you know, like that's, that's where that happens in prayer. But then we, this one piece of it that was almost like an afterthought in some ways at first was like, and if parishes were, uh, I set up this program and I had this idea for, we're going to set up a nine month structure where if a parish starts to want to move from maintenance to mission, um, that process is incredibly daunting. And we were hearing from pastors who were like undertaking this idea that they were just kind of tripping up. It was like, you know, they'd read Forming Intentional Disciples, get pumped about the message, but like that translating into action at the parish level, there are just like a million and one different roadblocks, right? We don't yeah. have enough time, money, staff, vision. Like we, we tried to do this or this and it didn't work. And, and so the idea was like, could you be basically doing like accompaniment, but with parishes? Like, mm. we're gonna, we we have some. You want this, and we kind of have some ideas about how that could happen. And and so for nine months, we'll kind of walk with you. And that's really the piece that. So three days ago, I just went full time, uh, and that that was the piece that precipitated that was it. It really, um, like we. we we're shocked at how quickly I, I didn't think we'd be doing a parish partnership for like two years. Cause we have no, we have no yeah. credibility at yeah. first, right? We're just starting, we're launching, but um, we the, like some got contacted by some parishes and we were doing uh, you know, we're signed on for two parish partnerships a few months later. And then all of a sudden more and more of them are emailing me and we're entering into conversations with these parishes who like all really want this thing. And this premise that like, we, you know, we'll come help walk with you to show you how over nine months kind of launch you in that direction was like incredibly, uh, uh, hopeful. Like that's, that's literally like what we're hearing from people is like, there's it, the craziest stuff. Like I've, I've had like priests say, like one of the pastors of one of the churches we're working with, that this is like, just been so revitalizing to his priesthood as like a man, you know, like yeah. this idea. Cause I think there are so many pastors out there yeah, I think we we sometimes demonize churches that aren't aren't really on mission, like almost looking at them like, oh, they're not really, and they're and they're not, they're not fulfilling their vocation. But like, what we don't realize sometimes is that a lot of those leaders of those parishes like desperately want change. You know, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like they're sitting in their rectory like, you know, thank God we're not doing what we're called to do. Like yeah. they're incredibly frustrated, but like there's no there's no
0: clear path on how how do we take steps, you know, tomorrow? How do we take steps every day? And walk in a direction and, and there's not a lot of times there's not a lot of um, organizational health and systems and structures in place that help walk as a, as a group towards that. A lot of times there's not right. there's not a lot of systems in place um, for for it not to just turn into one person having all of the vision and idea. Right. And like, if only one, if only one person out on staff, right. If it's just the youth minister, if it's just the director of evangelization and catechesis that has this idea from reading all these books and just tries to constantly march in this direction. Um, there comes a point where, where, you know, cause things get hard, things start, uh, you know, people get upset, people threaten to leave. And in those moments, it's really easy to go, well, why the heck are we following this Tim guy anyways? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So you, yeah. So I think it is so important to have, uh, yeah. To have, you know, something like what you guys are doing, where which is kind of um, holding people accountable to to the system and process of walking in the direction of of implementing this stuff. You know, what I mean, like it's one thing to have everyone read. Like you said, it's one thing to have everyone read the book. It's a totally different thing to to slowly move, um, you know, to course correct this huge ship, you know, that uh, that is a parish and just slowly, you know, day in, day out. Um, year after year move in this and move everyone in this direction, in this direction, you know, it's, it's the Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're, how do you,
1: you know, when you're, if you're having to turn the nose of the ship, even a little, it's taking so much wheel work up there in the cabin just to like, even, even nudge it a little bit. And yeah, exactly. Like that's, so having someone who's outside of the situation, Um, who can have a a more objective vision, but local, like that was always part of the vision was we're only going to work in these three dioceses for this Chicago chapter. It's going to be the Archdiocese of Chicago, uh, Diocese of Rockford and the Diocese of Joliet, because that way we can actually be in parishes. It's not, Hey, we'll, we'll call you on Skype once a week, you know, and kind of give you some advice. It's, I'm going to come sit down with your parish council and like, you know, pitch this vision to them myself. I'm going to like, you know, we're going to be and, and it's always about training them to do it. Like it's the culture change is going to take place five to 10 years uh, over the next five to 10 years. We're just going to launch you in the direction w- and, and build leadership teams and sustainable, you know, to, to sustain that vision. But um, but yeah, it's it, and, and, and honestly, in some ways, like one of the things that's been fruitful, too, is that we're not just like a diocesan office mm-hmm. because there's oftentimes actually like complicated relationships between uh parishes and and pastors and the chancery you know what i mean it's not it's not always this like perfectly symbiotic relationship where they're like please come in and and tell us how to do church life differently yeah um so there's there's like that actually works out uh too so it's yeah so it's and at the end of the day like in reality it just seems like so, so i didn't plan on leaving my full time job this year, or honestly, even next year, Mm -hmm. like, I thought for sure, it'd be a few years if this thing ever grew. Um, But I think that I think the timing um, of it has hit in a time where people are really ripe for it. And I just do think that like, this is something that like, like, frankly, the Lord has blessed, like, it's, you know, we're talking about, like, here's the reasons why it seems to be to be working. Um, But at the end of the day, I really just think like, it's, it's amazing how much of it has felt like just kind of almost out of our hands. Like, me and my family are just kind of swept up in this journey from Denver into Chicago, you know, out of, out of full-time parish ministry into this, you know, not-for-profit world. Almost like, you know, I love the line from, from Jean Valjean in Les Mis. I'm like a secret uh, musicals fan. We're kind of a big musicals family. We like the, we like the theater (laughs) and, uh, and there's that line there, like my my soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. Yeah. He's like singing, you know, It's it's. I think it's the Who Am I song, like you know, in Act yeah. one, and uh, like that's kind of how I feel. Is it's almost like this is this is our life. This is our family. Like, explode this, explode La Alto if yeah. you want to. Like, I'm, like it's not my game. It's not my fruit. Uh, it's not my organization. Like, and so it's, it's just that, like that's that's so much of it is how it feels. Is, um, just like. A lot of this has been very, very challenging to get up and running. I bet. But it's just like my life is not – like my, my life stopped being my own in, like, a church uh, when I was hung over as a senior in high school, you know? So yeah. um,
0: so we just kind of have to follow. So uh, that's amazing. Like, the, the the work that you're doing is is awesome and I think really, really necessary. Where do you see – you know, we were talking a little bit. I don't know when I'll start. <laughs> I don't know where in the recording I'll start, but we were talking a little bit about, you know, Twitter or this like public versus private life, but also, um, you know, this like ba- this balancing act between representing a ministry or representing a parish or representing a diocese and, um, but also being honest and being open about, um, you know, wrestling with these ideas and concepts and wrestling with what, you know, how we solve these really difficult, complicated problems, Right. Where do you see, where do you see, because uh, obviously, you know, La you, you, Alto Institute is is um, an answer you feel like God has put on your heart uh, for for this really complicated problem, which is how do we make parishes more effective at um, at transformation? Or how do we make parishes more effective at putting people in touch with Jesus? How do we make parishes more effective at evangelization and catechesis? Where do you see, especially... In this age of the internet, in, the, in this age where anyone could start up a ministry, where do you see this relationship going between parish, diocese, and you know, like a lay or a lay apostolate, like yourself? Um,
1: interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I've, uh, um, it, it's certainly like it, it, it's kind of almost like the business world, right? Like it's never been easier. Yeah, I mean, in a yeah. lot of ways, what we did was we like slapped up a website. Um, and, and like to like prove the, like, and that was like, that was the concept, like that was the business right there. It's just, we're just saying like, this is, this is something we do. And then people just kind of found us. Um, and that, yeah, that's just not possible 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and I think especially too, like there are a lot of really creative, I see a lot of really creative people, um, kind of coming up through the ranks who have, like a real burning love for the church and want to and and I think in a lot of ways too like especially with lay ministry like it's it's not um it, it's not always the case that like your, your desires for ministry are perfectly met or like the vision you have in a particular area is, is perfectly met by X Y Z or uh, x y z role in a parish. Mm-hmm. And so people who continue to have that burning, like my gifts feel like they need to be used in this particular way, will probably need to find themselves becoming increasingly entrepreneurial, yeah. Um, yeah. to, to make that happen. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, as far as the, the, the dynamics, like, um, I think I'm grateful for in some ways I, when I look back at a lot of the figures who have kind of paved the way the Matthew Pinto's and the Matthew Kelly's and the, yeah. uh, lighthouse Catholic media's and Scott Hans and all these people of the world who've kind of like built some credibility for lay people. Um, mm-hmm. because I think that could be like one of the significant challenges. It's just like, you know, there, there's not that, that built in, um, you know, like we don't we don't have the 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 grace of ordination. as yeah. kind of like a a testament to our credibility or 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 ability to lead. Um, and so there's you kind of have to hoof it a little bit more in order to like prove you know that you're that you're um, capable yeah. and have a perspective like a or a voice worth listening to. Um, I don't know. I, I hope it, and and as I guess maybe that is my answer. I was going to say I don't know where it's going to go, but I guess my answer is is that it seems to me that. Some of the organizations out there have already paved the way a lot for um, like lay apostolates, you know, 501c3s, having a voice, a seat at the table, the focuses of the world and the Curtis Martins and the other people like um, a lot of the work's been done. I mean, there's I I bump into walls for sure. I felt like in parish ministry often I would bump into that of just like you're not father. You know what I mean? Like people people just want father sometimes. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But, uh, and, and, but increasingly, and, I think that time is changing.
0: Yeah. And like throughout history, it's always, I mean, it's not a question of, you know, um, which one, which one's going to become extinct, the parish, the diocese, or the, or the lay apostolate. I think all those things are always, there's always going to be a need for those things. Right. Or like, you know, which is, which is the question of which is going to become extinct, the the parish priest or the religious priest. I don't think, you know, those things are always going to exist. I just, I wonder um, what it's going to look like though, moving forward. Um, Just like, are we going to continue to have more and more of these apostolates like, it, and in some ways it seems very good. Like it seems like we should have more and more of these apostolates that can, like we were talking about, be outside of the situation and be objective and provide this kind of consulting and expertise. And so it's just interesting to think of how different the, the church dynamic is going to be in the future. Um, you know, maybe if the diocese, instead of hiring someone like yourself, they do have this, most dioceses have a relationship with an apostolate as opposed to trying to, um, to hire uh, a full-time person at the diocese to do this you know what i mean so it, it just will be interesting to see that
1: that's forward. a really interesting question yeah like of w 2 w-2ing everybody like if they're if more of these apostolates kind of come up to then they can fill some of those roles um yeah i mean i mean
0: yeah with, so, with, as so we all become
1: increasingly missional <laughs>
0: maybe as like a as like a smaller example you know it used to be um, in some dioceses, maybe I'll just say, in some dioceses, the model was um, that the diocesan office of youth ministry was was responsible for putting on really great events and really great um, programming and conferences, and could they could use their influence and their their the um, their reach to bring to get to one bring together an entire diocese. And two put on some type of event, right? So DCYC, softball tournament, retreat, right? These types of things. Well, as as we see youth ministers becoming more and more competent, it or other conferences, other organizations can put on these events better. Now suddenly there's this tension between, okay, well, do I go to this diocesan retreat or do I go to Steubenville, a Steubenville conference, right? Well then you have Yeah. And then you have the 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 other thing of like well, then now youth ministers are more comfortable putting on retreats themselves. And then now there's this tension between the parish retreat rivaling the diocesan retreat. And something that I've really appreciated in our diocese is, um, you know, our diocesan youth minister saying, look, my primary function is to support youth ministers, not to put on events and, re- and put on events and programming. Um, because he, he sees that lots of youth ministers are competent at putting on events and programming and lots of other organizations can put on better events and programming. So he's like, which I think is a great move. He's like, I'm just here to support and disciple and train and, and be, be here, um, as a, as a resource for youth ministers, as opposed to you need to come to our events because you know, like we need, you know, yeah. Like some weird, um, prideful like connection to like well if my if all of my parishes aren't coming to my events then somehow that says that i'm i'm irrelevant and not necessary
1: yeah i think the you know the analogy with evangelization is always fishing right and so like i've, I've heard some diocesan officials say sometimes that their job is they build nets for like the, the fishermen to mm-hmm. throw but one of the issues that was coming up sometimes was that because the people building nets themselves weren't actively fishing at the same time but the net wasn't always actually useful <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah yeah uh like it wasn't actually always good at fishing and so i think what more and more and leaders are seeing their role is is the fisherman's going to make the net and he's going to throw it and i'm going to coach him every step of the way and yeah. support him or her every step of the way and support them and i know the i just sat with the archdiocese of omaha's um, evangelization department has been formed to basically work like a to like a consulting agency mm-hmm. in the diocese so they they have very few of the administrative kind of constraints that other offices might have, and their job is literally to like w- like individually work with parishes to help yeah. them um, make that culture change happen yeah i mean I, I I do think like I have to be honest with you i'm I'm in some ways grateful for i I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for like the contributions um that diocesan offices make, but like even the the idea of um you know there's so many things in the church that have kind of worked this way like bulletin production is yeah. now you know done yeah. mainly by private companies like a lot of things yeah. have kind of moved into the private sector and i think that that competition sometimes has actually helped to push forward i I've, I've wondered that in some ways if in the protestant church some of the reason that they there's so much excellence kind of across the board in a lot of those organizations like in the terms of or like there's is, is a lot of drive to do so because um you know it's 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 Pe- people's jobs are like depending on it. Yeah, it's, like way, you know?
0: it's like outsourced to specialists. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas like, whereas like a lot of parishes just have the youth minister doing the website, youth ministry, the Twitter, like the email, like, all, like all the internet stuff, like, you know what I mean? As opposed to having enough financial resources to say, no, we're going to get one person to do communication, one person to do youth ministry, one person to do the website. Yeah. And, and that there's,
1: uh, you know, in, in, Certainly, I think people on the ground. Like, I I would always actually recommend. Like, I wouldn't say for a lot of parishes that we work with, like, don't get a director of evangelization because you're bringing us in. Yeah. Um. Like, we're actually going to work most effectively if you have a person dedicated to to evangelization who can be our point person. Mm-hmm. But is there is there if if sometimes now you know yeah there's maybe maybe that competition that's existing in the private sector. I'm trying not to sound so much like a like a bloodthirsty capitalist because I'm not <laughs> trying to be that way. But like. If some of the competition that's happening out there is actually pushing people, like pushing all of us to just keep striving for for excellence, kind of everything we're doing. One of the questions that comes to my mind, like one of the issues that I think will rise is – I mean a problem that this is – every diocese and parish is like looking at this issue anyway is um, like the resourcing you know what I mean? Like long-term, I think the more and more apostolates that grow and even the more focused missionaries there are, like donor fat- fatigue will grow, Yeah, you know, as, yeah, the, for sure. as the same people are getting hit up by everybody for, to kind of personally fund their, their projects. And so I wonder how that's kind of going to all shake out. Cause we have an incredible amount of overhead, um, especially yeah. in some of these older dioceses, right? Where the, yeah. like the infrastructure costs are literally just um, like, I, I was looking recently, one of the, and I'm I'm not like the kind of guy who's just like always, you know, I've, I've referenced the evangelical world now a couple of times, but um, very proudly Catholic. Like yeah. I don't I don't wish we were the evangelical world, but um, one of the an evangelical church that I um, have seen some of the stuff they do and I have a lot of respect for it, um, like kind of the way they go about like their own clear path to discipleship and stuff. And they just seem like a very vibrant, healthy church. I pulled open they had they did their end of the year report um, for their congregation to show them here's where all of our finances went for the year and stuff. And it was this really you know neat little package. And a lot, a lot of parishes will do that too. Like put out a, here was our fiscal year, yeah. you know, X kind of report. And they're all in budget for the year was like $285,000, which compared to like even an average size parish is like a 10th. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they're I that's mean, interesting. bigger suburban parishes with schools. So how are they? Are how, $5, $6 million. Yeah.
0: How are they paying all their staff?
1: Like less overhead. I mean, I think I think, and they it was like ninety percent of that was going to staff. Huh. Um, yeah. That makes so if you sense. could imagine, the parish has four million dollars, and ninety percent of that parish's budget is going to staff. The kind of like talent we'd be able to recruit. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That's be Interesting. Amazed. Yeah. That's really interesting. Really I bet most
1: parishes, it's like closer to like 10, 20%, yeah. you know, going gives staff yeah. and a lot of it's going to, to maintenance of, of old buildings and, well, to, and to like all kinds of other things.
0: And to be honest, some of it does go to the diocese, right? We have some of that, Um, you know, we're kind of, Oh sure. Getting... There's like a, yeah, yeah. Right. A cut. So what what do you see happening uh, at, you know, especially as you're working with all these parishes um, I've been really fascinated watching, um watching the, quote-unquote workforce the lay lay ministers going out to work for churches which by the way we need a better work. what is the what do you call people who like what is the general term you use for someone who is not a priest who works at a church right uh what do you say i i think i think i use staff <laughs> yeah but i mean like like i like um like i like, like something use because
1: minister feels weird yeah
0: minister feels very weird and some people say uh what is the word oh ecclesial what is the word Yeah, lay ecclesial minister. minister. Some people. It feels weird to. Yeah, that feels weird too. Um, some more Protestant minded people will use like church worker, but that sounds weird too. It feels like church church, worker, yeah, social worker. It just sounds weird. But, but anyways, watching, um, watching. do you have an answer? No, I don't know. know. I have no idea. Oh yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) I have no idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so I always like have to caveat or just say like five different things, right? Like, um, but anyways, watching that workforce of those people who work for churches become more and more skilled and professional and educated, right? Like it's interesting and it must be interesting for yourself, you know, having your, your hands in some of these different parishes. Where, where do you see, where do you see this going? Like that's, that's what I'm really wondering is like, as, as more and more diocesan officials and, or diocesan lay ministers, but also church lay ministers, like you say, are getting more professional and, um, and higher education, um yeah, what do you think that means for the church? And maybe it's just maybe you could talk about in Chicago or in that area specifically, but like where what what do you see that having an impact on the church? Well there's actually there's it was
1: interesting. I went to a um uh a pre event for for SLS in this area. Like explain SLS. Um, Let's go. Oh, Student Leadership Summit is like focuses like student training conference that they do every two years. Yeah. And so it was in Chicago this year. And so they did kind of like a pre event and different people were invited to attend that are kind of like in ministry in the area so they could kind of build some buzz for it. And one of, uh, it was interesting, somebody that worked at the Archdiocese of Chicago said a really interesting thing that in like one of their, Vicariate. So they break it up into five vicariates, um, each with their own bishop, I believe, because um, wow. Chicago is just massive. It's like the, you know, millions of three million Catholics or something right? um, that like Lake County is one of the big vicariates. And it's mostly suburban churches. But that, it was something insane, like the average age of a staff member at that at that church is like 63 Whoa. or something. And so they're they're all approaching retirement age. And so one of the things that the archdiocese is really worried about is, you know, an upcoming priest shortage as like a, a, a very, like a lot of a generation that had a lot of priests retires. Yeah. But they're also kind of worried about like a lay ministry shortage. Yeah, like yeah. To, he was saying one of the things for focus missionaries when the opportunities was like, come work in our parishes. Like we need your, your youth and your talents. Now, it's sad, though, at the same time is it's, it's an increasingly well-trained force, but because of um, you know, what I'm seeing happening more and more, and it's a savvy, like, uh, you know, business move in some of the parishes in our area is, um, an increasing number of part-time staff. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to pay benefits and, and, you know, lower salaries and all that stuff. Now that's not, that's not everywhere. And that's not probably, um, that seems like a bad, it's not, move. I don't want, it seems like a bad move. Well, it's it's not how it works, right? Yeah. Like, there's there's no such thing. It's that's a classic joke in youth ministry, right? It's like part-time youth minister means you work forty hours and you get paid for twenty. Like, yeah. um, it just never ends up working that way. So that's a concerning trend that I'm seeing as the church is starting to wrestle with, um like resource allocation. Because it is, I mean, it's true. Like, it, as numbers go down, we're, we're like we're also necessarily seeing like a smaller pool. Now, that's probably not as much of a problem right now, and. In Texas, with some of these bigger parishes, but that's something that's happening around here. That's kind of a concerning trend, especially right as people become more skilled and could command large salaries. Do
0: you feel like Do you feel like the church is maybe maybe past the kind of bloated period, or maybe like in your area, the church is a little like, um, yeah, all those people. Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting watching the diocese have to pay those retirement checks for all of those people. Like right, like all of a sudden they're all retired and we're paying. Paying retirement for those and, and, um, yeah, like having to, to survive that move forward and, uh, and what that means. Like, do you, do you think we're kind of, I have felt like we've moved past the bloated period and now we're kind of wrestling with this post, um, height of, of, um, yeah, height of, height of this employment and, um, bloat, just bloat.
1: Yeah, I think that's my hope for sure. Yeah, it seems like people are being like overall, I feel like the trends are people are are being a lot more savvy um, with kind of the way we're uh, and and, and, and honestly, every every job I've ever had, I've felt very valued by like in in that position. Like I I don't I I can't speak from personal experience about to the way some people can when I hear some of the salaries that people are talking about when it's like, you know, I'm I'm working obscene hours and getting paid X, you know, and it's just like. I don't even know what to I don't I honestly don't even know what to do about that um but one of the things I mean gosh I don't want to be like pessimistic one of the things that does concern me is like the state of Illinois uh, that we live in is like currently like crippled financially by teachers pensions you know mm-hmm. and like yeah. um because we have we have, like very generous pension plans and so that's actually been um, so like the period of bloat might be over, but then do we catch it on the back end too? Potential. I don't really. I'm not really like a financial guru, so I don't really know how that works. But yeah, um, I remember by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not a financial guru. But <laughs> big church. It's it's interesting. This is the kind of stuff that like only church workers like think, talk about, like,
0: yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like
1: nobody ever thinks about like the church's finances and how it's, it's like, as long as the lights are on, people are usually pretty content with like how the finances of the church are. Well,
0: and, and you just feel this. And I hope I've been talking with some people and I hope that in the seminaries, they're kind of adjusting for this. But I remember the first parish I was at um, the pastor saying at one point to me, he's like, look, I manage a $2 million budget for, you know, for this parish I've never a fi- I've never taken a finance class in my entire life. <laughs> like he went right. all the through he went all the way through seminary learning um theology, philosophy, pastoral um you know, pastoral skills and these types of things, but never once learned like should you get should you put your parish in a 30 year um uh uh $600,000 debt or something. You know what I mean? Like he never learned right. any of these things and he's like I'm just kind of you know having to take advice from other people and and hopefully you know i'm not messing this up right like um so it it, it is you do feel like um and especially just more emphasizes the need for an organization like yourself to to kind of help these parishes make these um what would seem like very secular organizational health type decisions right like hey like, let's not just hire a bunch of part timers, like, let's really think hard about how we're going to move forward and what our what our structure is going to be as an organization to, to, um to, yeah, to, to accomplish this goal of evangelization in the most prudent way possible. And I think a lot of times people, I think a lot of times people turn off by that because they're like, oh, that sounds too, sounds too business world.
1: Right. But then there are a lot of parishes who are crippled missionally mm-hmm. because of, yeah, they took on yeah, have a debt uh, years ago. And it's like, it's actually stopping their, their ability to have an impact in terms of their mission. Right. Exactly. It's just like, I I do think what you described is like probably when people ask me, like, what's the one area that we need to be emphasizing as a church, you know, so that over the next 40, 50 years, we're more effective missionally is like the first thing we have to admit is that like, because of postmodernism, we officially are working in a missional situation now. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is no longer Christendom and we can't um, think that like the the super effective counter reformation models of, of ministry that and I don't mean like liturgically I'm not speaking I'm actually like that's the funny thing I, like I work in parish renewal and like liturgically I'm actually like fairly like traditional conservative but everyone expects that I'm just like <laughs>
0: bring out the glad tambourine yeah, like, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so what know, are but, you talking uh, about what kind of what give some examples of what you're talking about
1: well just I mean just even I guess I would say like like the heavy emphasis on you, you know for, for for instance like we have a parish mission Like, are we just going to bring someone in to come give a talk that's going to be insider baseball to the 80, 90 people that we know will show up? Because that's what we do every year and that's what we've always done.
0: Oh, gosh. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. are
1: we just still, I mean, that's the parish, that mission model is like 1800s France. It became super popular or something, right? Like, yeah. are we just still, and so that's what George Weigel talks about this, and Pope Francis talked about too in Gaudium. Like, the two things we're always holding in tension when we're doing this, like, discernment of renewal strategies is we're always holding in tension the objective truth of something. Like, what is it at its core in light of mission? So, like, we're reading it through the lens of mission, but never, like, getting rid of the, the objective truth of what that thing is. And so every structure in the church can go through a discernment process like that, that, you know, fits that criteria of like, what is the purpose of this? What is it, you know, in its, in its essence? And then uh, how can be most, like most effectively used in light of mission. But so people, so people like, so as we do that, people ask like, what's the most um, effective thing we can do? And having admitted that we officially live in, in, a missional situation and not in a Christendom situation anymore, I think we need to like train seminarians in light of that reality. Like I think that seminary education, they, they literally have, you know, and have had in the church for, for years and years, like, missionary seminaries yeah. where it was like here's all where all the jesuits go and train because they're going to go to japan yeah and like so they need a unique kind of training i think we need to reflect that reality yeah. in our seminary formation that it has to match neatly uh with the with the the mission at hand and the the culture and i mean culture is changing so quickly like we the the church can be forgiven for not catching up like overnight i mean we yeah. we're talking about yeah monumental changes that have happened over the last 50 years, 10 years, five years. Like there's a lot going on. It's kind of hard to keep up with, right? Like we can't just keep changing things overnight, but, um, but I think that's, that's the really, uh, and and there's seminaries are doing this sacred heart in Detroit. I know Mundelein in in Chicago here is trying to do some stuff. St. Paul in Minnesota. Like I know personally of seminaries that are, moving in that direction. But I think that's the great opportunity is how do we train our, our, our up and coming priests with that, that lens for seeing their vocation as entering into missionary territory.
0: Yeah. And and there is a way that, I mean, like you say, we have to be very, very clear about what is the objective? Like what, like what is the goal? And then how are we going to measure success? And people, a lot of times hate that because they're like, well, faith is, you know, how do you measure faith? You know, how do you measure um, conversion? How do you measure th- these things? And it's like, okay, fine. But but we could take some, like, very, like, superficial measurements and say, you know, we feel pretty confident that the same 7% of our parish comes to all of these mission parish missions. And, like, it would be so easy to say if the goal of the parish mission is to get non non Catholics to become Catholic, how many are how many new RCIA candidates ca- came out of this parish mission? Or if the right. or if the goal like there's so many very superficial ways that you could at least start to make some type of measurement of like, you know, the goal of this parish mission is X. And let's like let's just let's start taking measurements, take a survey, take something to say like, uh, like, is this accomplishing the goal? And if, you know, and I I feel like a lot of times. And I do know that it is it is part of the vocation of the priest to to celebrate the sacraments right to pastor and to govern right it's kind of like i'm pretty sure those like three things come from somewhere but it's like to govern the parish to pastor to pastor his people and to celebrate the sacraments but but there but there there is a way that it doesn't have to be a both and right like sometimes there are, um people i've talked to who are like well that you know this isn't the priest's job to be in this mission territory and try to do all this stuff he's just there to to celebrate the sacraments to pastor's people and it's like well p- part of the pastoring is pastoring the people in your parish boundaries who are not yet catholic right like in, right. and and the goal is to 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 uh to reach out to those people and th- and then do you have a system in place where people are having hard conversations on your staff about how effective you're, you are you are at doing that you know
1: yeah. And I think that's, that's one of like, the major things we're trying to teach parishes to do is to just be intentional about what they are doing. Like so often what we're doing in parish life is just because like, that's what we've always done. Yeah, Like this or we is, don't want to hurt someone's it's just, feelings. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, we're, so we're just kind of like, um, but so that's, that's like 90% of it is literally just that, like we're, we're trying to accomplish X and we're going to intentionally strategically do things to, to accomplish X. um, yeah, I mean that that's that's kind of the heart of it. I had feel like I had one more thing to say about what you were saying. Oh, with the with the pastor and the priest. Somebody recently said to me, Well, we need to move evangelistic efforts outside of parish life, like because the purpose of a parish, and this was someone who actually is like very they 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 were actually saying it for missional reasons. They're saying like the purpose of the parish is not to be missionary. And so if we're gonna go evangelize people, like it, it can't have any relationship with the parish, which is just about feeding the faithful. Um and like, frankly, I, like nothing can be further from the truth. Like, and even like the, the church is pretty clear about like, yeah, it's it's priest, prophet, king. It's the three moon era uh, of the ministerial priesthood to, to like, you know, preach and to, to govern and to to celebrate the liturgy. But like um, I think I, like, the church has set up this this parish system. Like for missional reasons, like yeah. we've we've intentionally all these you know Protestant churches are trying to figure out church planting now. And how do we break up an area so that we can be more agile and effective with these smaller communities that can reach the neighborhoods and areas that they're in? It's like we, we did that years and years and years ago. And instead of being missional outposts where. This is the where the the faithful come to be fed to to go outward and now evangelize the set region because that's a, a parish isn't a building it's a it's a, a boundary right it's a it's an actual plot of land it's yeah. an area yeah. and that's that's the territory that the mission the faithful in that parish are responsible for evangelizing um, and the and I think I do I think the priest is primarily responsible for um, mobilizing and and um, sanctifying those faithful that are there he's the dad of the family right and I, like I I really take. John Paul at his word when he's talking in Christi Fidelis Leici about like the vocation of lay people to be salt of the earth. Like I think actually the the, the evangelization mandate is is placed most heavily on our shoulders um, and priests have to train us and, and get us there so that we can go do it. But um, But yeah, I don't think we can divorce the vocation for mission and the vocation of a parish because like... I think it, it's actually set up and, and Pope Francis has some great quote in Evangelii Gaudium about this like the parish is not this outdated institution or structure that mm, like, it, yeah, it I needs love to that. become it, you've seen that it's like a long paragraph about and it's just like that that's it like yeah. just just because it's not it's almost like there's there's the great analogy I think it's a I think it's actually our boy Simon Sinek to start with why guy who, who said it <laughs> yeah. about the uh, yeah, yeah. It's the what is it the snow the snowmobile in the desert like just because the snowmobile like it, it, the snowmobile isn't getting us across the desert and so uh, what we do is just we just kind of keep tinkering with the insides of it wondering why it's not getting us across the desert yeah. when it's like not actually meant for, effective for the mission to hand yeah. that, that's not necessarily the parish like the yeah. parish structure isn't broken it's just that it's only serving like one or two out of its out of its you know like all of its different mandates and vocations. Like it's not just supposed to be like, so there's some people that are almost in beating the retreat, like like kind of seeing the ineffectiveness of parishes. They're kind of saying, well, the, like the, the parish is just a, like a sacraments dispensary. It's not supposed to be um, like the center for community and mission. Like that's supposed to principle of subsidiarity happen in your homes. Um, and I, I think both are true, but I think, I think the parish, I, I think the parish plays an essential role um, in this whole work.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like the, par- the parish is a place where, where believers, Christians, come together and, and are fed and then are sent out. But, it, but, but the reality of our situation is that a lot of the people that are showing up, a lot of people that are there, are not believers. There are a lot of people right. who, who belong but don't believe, who are just there. And so, um, yeah, to just, like we're not, <laughs> we're not at a point where we, can, where we can trust that everyone is out evangelizing or that even everyone that's showing up has been evangelized.
1: Yeah. No, one. yeah, not at all. It's, it's, it's that exitus and retitus. It's like that accordion, like Mm. go out, come back, go out, come back.
0: What's been, what's been recently the biggest, um, the biggest, uh, fruit, the, the, of all the different things you're doing, parish missions, um, talks, um, workshops on prayer consulting. What's been, what's been one thing where you, you put in some, you have put in effort and you see this like multiplication of Of fruit or multiplication of results, um, that come out of it, like in the, in the amount of time that you've been working, um, with these parishes, what's been, what's been something that's been, uh, kind of a standout, um, as far as like, I I don't want to say results, but, um, where you've seen movement or change.
1: For me, it's, um, so far it's been in watching the people we're working with, like the leadership, um, at the parishes we're working with really catch the, Vision. So our our big, our first two steps of kind of our key deliverables are, you know, crafting this vision for for a parish, you know, centered on mission, and then um, like you know, really pervading parish life with that sense for like what is our vocation as a as a parish, and what's my vocation in the midst of um, of that parish to like serve that that end, and then a real clear understanding of how that happens. Like so, how are we actually going to form disciples here at this parish, and watching watching the like the the people i'm working closest with like our point person the people on our evangelization teams our leadership teams like the pastors watching them not just like repeating my words or my vision but actually like learning it and and like interiorizing it so much that they're championing it as like the, the you know like what we're doing and what makes sense and what's the way forward and like believing in it enough to Um, Like I actually even had one of our, our point people, one of the parishes we're working at was like challenging me on something Mm. because I was like prioritizing some aspect of it. Like it was just like some like long kind of convoluted, like, you know, very, then that's the, that's the reason we feel like we need to be as close with parishes as we are is because you're just like in the weeds constantly with them. Mm. Um, And we're in the weeds and like one of the people is literally like challenging me based on, like, the vision that I've presented her yeah. as, like, our model. Yeah. She's, like, reminding me, like, that doesn't fit with what you're telling us about. And watching that start to happen, where they're adopting it as, like, the way church life should go, is, is like, very rewarding. Because now I know we have we have torchbearers. We don't just have, like, we came and lit a fire for nine months, and it became, like, the next hot program for, like, you know, that, that period of time. But these are people who have actually fundamentally begun to look differently at the way that they approach their jobs. And that is, like... That's, that's it. It's like, all right, now we got it. Like, cause you're going to go, no matter what I do when I leave, when we, when we back out, like you're going to go fig, continue, continue to figure this out and wrestle with it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just the greatest. I mean, we, yeah. So never mind. I was going to tell a story, but I'm not going to tell a story.
0: You can, if you have time, you can.
1: No, I it's not, time. it's not even that good of a story.
0: <laughs> well, good. Don't tell that dumb story. Um, I hate my story. So what's next, what's next for you guys? What's next for, um, for, for your apostolate?
1: Yeah, we're, we're praying through a lot of different things right now. I mean, continuing to do, to, to be doubling down on what we're doing here. And, um, we've actually had a couple of you know interesting conversations with people recently who have been, um, kind of asking us about what we've done here and wanting to replicate that model kind of in their local area and, and kind of use some of the principles that we're applying to, to kind of be a, their own regional evangelizing catalyst. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, like that's kind of intriguing and exciting to be praying through. Like, is that something that the Lord is calling us to and yeah. how do we balance that, that gospel imperative to, to continue to, to, you know, search after new mission fields with the need to solidify what we're doing here. And, um, that whole tension. So that's, I mean, that's kind of an interesting, that's been an interesting thing knocking around in my, um, in my head, in my heart these days, but other, otherwise it's just it. It's like, otherwise it's, it's, I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie. Remember the Titans, and my my favorite quote in the whole thing is when Denzel Washington, the football coach, because uh, I'm such a jock, uh, <laughs> just just a meathead. Uh, we, the football coach says like their their offense has six plays and he's like it's it's like Novocaine. It works every time, you know, mm, yeah. and that's yeah. that's kind of like that's kind of how we're, we're there's part of our mission right now that's just like. We just got to do it like yeah. we just have to keep doing it. We we there's a lot of with a new organization, a lot of innovating and a lot of iterating and, and changing things and and kind of continuing to grow and look at new opportunities. But like we also just kind of need to keep at it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um that can let that consistency achieve our mission instead of just constantly chasing after the next shiny thing.
0: Yeah. Well, where can people go to uh, to support your ministry and support the work you guys are doing, or just hear more about you? If if um, if they're a parish to you and want to get in touch with you, where do they go?
1: The best place I want them to go is is lalto co slash donate. You know, if that's where they that's where I want them to start. Okay. But uh, no, they if they can email me at tim at uh, lalto So that's tim at lalto um, and I and I'm always open to have a conversation with anybody. So if anyone wanna email me there, and then that's our okay. website URL as well, uh, Lalto.co or or dot com. Um well, no, I'm on I'm the Twitters. I'm,
0: I'll include all these um I'll include your Twitter and all the I'll include these donate links and, and all these links to the website. Oh, I was just kidding
1: show. about the donate. they don't have to donate. Well, I want should. them to donate no, to your to. to your radio they show. To. They have to donate. Okay. They have to. Yeah. The gospel compels yeah. them to yeah, do yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So oh, awesome. yeah, so that's, that, that's it. Just check out I would say check out the website and then get in touch with me and let's set up a chance to have a conversation about, um, whatever. So
0: cool. All right. Well, Tim, the, the work you guys are doing is really important. and I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. I think, um, yeah, this is, this is good and necessary. So it's good. Check, check Tim out. Everybody go, go do this. Go get, go get, go turn your, your parish from maintenance submission. Go, go make someone mad at your parish and tell them they need to they need, they need a change <laughs> first. Tell them they're not a disciple.
1: That's yeah. the best place. That's to the start, first is...
0: start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good.
1: Step one. All right. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. I always love talking to you.
0: Yeah, no problem. See you. God bless him. Okay. I just hit stop. Sorry, Tim. Hold on. I <laughs> just wanted to say thank you. No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just hit stop. But it's so I always for